This episode is sponsored by the one membership by Template Monster. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All Things Podcast, episode number 72, Most In-Demand Web Developer Skills in 2019. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far and want to support us, a couple ways you could do that. You could review us on Apple Podcasts or on the podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Check us out on Patreon. Again, we only have a couple of tiers right now, but the $3 tier will give you a shout-out in the podcast, and we will share a link to your website in our show notes. And probably the most important one is just to tell your friends or anyone else you know that's interested in event development that we are here and ready to be listened to. And if you're, you or your friend are ready to go another step further, you can join us in our Discord server with well over 200 members now. Our community is in, sitting there chatting about on-topic things, off-topic things, helping each other with programming of all kinds, React, JS, CSS, HTML, whatever it is. We're there and we're chatting away. And uh, without further ado... Mike, please take it away with your weekly pain point. All right. So weekly pain point this week is not enough RAM. Uh, just first time I run into this, actually. Like I've I've been running 16 gigs of RAM in my laptop and my computer probably for, I don't know, it's probably like six or seven years now on multiple different computers. And I've never had an issue because I do use a lot of Chrome tabs. Uh, as as mo- a lot of you are aware, Chrome does take a ton of RAM. But I use this uh, little extension called uh, the Great Suspender, which after a certain amount of time will uh, suspend your Chrome tab and take it out of RAM for you. So it, that has saved me from having to upgrade my RAM because I don't I don't need all my tabs open and active all the time. I just need them there sometimes so I can go back and reference. And sometimes I just literally forget to close them and that's why they're there. So it, it kind of does that for me without like hard closing them. So that's been okay. But lately I've been doing a lot more uh, Android Studio development and using emulators and that just kills RAM. Like I didn't even notice. Uh, I sent Matt a picture uh, and 90, 90% of my RAM was being taken up and I had like five Chrome tabs open. I'm like, what, what's going on here? So I guess Boxing Day or Christmas time, RAM upgrade is coming. I'm going to go either to 64 or 32, probably 32. And then maybe I'll move on to 64 on my next computer build in a few years. But uh, I think that I think I'll be okay at 32. Um, but that's it about for me. What about you, Matt? Well, the moral the moral of your story story is that you need to close your tabs, Mike. <laughs> my tabs are closed. <laughs> yeah, you literally had five open yeah. in your picture. But yeah. <laughs> uh, so my week of pain, week of pain point this week is uh, VS Code update. So this actually happened today. I was uh, I use a a plugin called FTP Sync, which works pretty good. And I just, uh, one of our sites, we just FTP the files to. So I was just working away, blah, 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 typing away. And, you know, you save and it, like I have it set so that when I save, it uploads the file. And then I just like test it in the live environment. So, you know, that's great. Everything's good. And then um, it was a, it was a VS code update. So I was like, all right. So I do the VS code update and I've done a few of these before. And uh, what ended up happening was it killed my FTP sync config and I haven't configured it in a few months. So I was like, oh, damn, I guess I better... I guess I better like go figure out what the hell this config is. So instead of me like, you know, fiddling around with what directories I was doing and stuff like that, I thought, oh, I'll boot up one of my other computers and I'll do this. Now, I don't know what happened. Maybe I updated VS Code on them without remembering, but uh, the FTP sync config was also blank on them. So that was good. And so I was like, oh, okay, great. And then I remembered that when I was learning typo in the very beginning, um, which we're actually just about to publish our first project in there or within typo, so hooray for me for not crashing the site every five minutes anymore. But anyway, 
what I actually remembered was I accidentally synced my entire FTP details and my password <laughs> publicly. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, wait, but that was inside of the config file. And so, like, some of those details aren't valid, but I could get those back, like the new password stuff. But, like, all the rest of them are valid still. So I went back into, like, my commits and found out where I, like, published my password for the, for everyone to see. And then I took that and uh, used it to reconfigure FTP sync. So there's the moral of the story is make more mistakes in typo and uh, your life will be easier, apparently. But anyway, uh, this is going to be a Mike-heavy episode. It's about a, it's regarding a Reddit thread. I'll let him sort of explain. But uh, we have a few segments on that. Uh, what does the community say regarding this uh, this Reddit thread? Uh, what did the job posting say uh, on the same topic on that Reddit thread? And then I have a, a web news, which is old decisions, new projects. So, Mike, first segment, take it away. All right, let's do this. Uh, so to, to kind of give a backstory to this, I was just browsing subreddit rwebdev, uh, as I do quite often just to see what the community is doing, what, what new stuff is up. And there was a cool thre- thread um that has the title most in demand web developer skills 2019 to 2020 and it's just someone asking like hey i want to get into the industry what what should i learn right now for me to get into the industry as quickly as possible just to sum it up and there's a lot of people talking and i kind of summarize what everyone's saying and i just want to reiterate what kind of like what everyone what what the consensus feels like those topics are like what what you should know and my thoughts on them. Like if I, do I agree? Why do I, and stuff like that. And maybe Matt will chime in as well with his thoughts on some of these. Um, so first thing for front end, let's talk about JavaScript. Uh, we've talked about it a million times, but this is what the community says uh, is important. JavaScript is number one. Most, most everyone's list is like, Hey, no JavaScript. If you want a job right now, uh, it goes like JavaScript and maybe uh some sort of CSS framework, or is it just like Flexbox for CSS and then uh, some some sort of backend. But JavaScript is really, really important. And not only knowing how to just do like, you know, copy paste code and stuff like that, knowing the programming concepts behind JavaScript, like what what is JavaScript and how does it work? Like, is it an object-oriented? Just spoiler alert, it is an object-oriented programming language, but it, it can be. It's very like... What is it? Is it a loose programming language? Is it type, not type? Like know what its power is and what its limitations are. Because when you're going into an interview or when you're going into a work environment, uh, and this is my own thoughts right now, uh, it's it's important to be able to convey knowledge of the you know the basic programming concept that you're going to be working with the whole team on. Because if you don't understand the basic stuff on on JavaScript, like what it is, like how how it's used, what how it compares to different programming languages, uh, it's going to be tough for you to integrate into their personal system because every company is going to have a very different system. Uh, maybe not completely different, but like slightly different here and there. They're going to use different frameworks. They're going to use different libraries. And if you don't know how JavaScript works in a basic sense, it's going to be tough for you to integrate with their systems. So it's important to kind of know those concepts, start from the very beginning. Uh, this uh, Reddit uh, Redditor, PHP Devster, I'm just going to give him a shout out. Uh, he strongly recommends knowing the you don't know JavaScript series. I believe that's a book actually. And uh, just look it up, Google it. You don't know JavaScript. Apparently that gives a really good basic understanding of JavaScript. So not only do you have to know how to like write the code, you want to know what how to refactor some code because a lot of the time if you're going to go into a job, you want to be able to 
you know, make stuff look better because when someone's writing something quickly, it's usually not going to be the most efficient. It's usually not going to be the prettiest. So sometimes you'll be put into a situation where you like for the first little while, maybe you just have to clean the code up. Maybe you just have to refactor it and they, they'll critique you on the, your ability to be able to integrate into their system by doing that. So it's important to kind of know how to refactor code as well in a JavaScript sense. And another really big one, and probably in my opinion, the biggest one in JavaScript or in anything is debugging and problem solving. You want to be able to show that you're able to take a problem and take it to a completion and solve it completely and maybe document it in the end. Um, we'll get to this later, but in some of the job descriptions, there's a lot of technical writing involved. And that technical writing isn't necessarily you're only going to be sitting down and writing just like, you know, guides and stuff like that. No, it's more involved in a day-to-day task of like, if you solve an issue, how are you going to document that you solved it and stuff like that? So it's important to kind of know the basic skills for the job. And this, in my opinion, is a basic skill. And if you can convey that you're a very good debugger in an interview or like in the first few weeks of a job, you're going to be that much more valuable to the company because it's really that's a, that's a probably the most difficult thing about our jobs is trying to figure out the problem because that's I mean people joke about it all the time we just sit down and solve problems all day and that's it it's like we bear like we code like ten minutes and then we solve problems for eight hours um, that's obviously an exaggeration but it sometimes feels like that. Um, the other thing is you got to know in JavaScript sense, how to set up a JavaScript development environment, uh, which is like a, a node environment with a, you know, live reloading server and NPM systems for being able to download packages, uh, NP, like a, a node environment that, that is able to compile down to, you know, ES 2015 for JavaScript cross browser support, stuff like that. It's important to at least be able to dabble in it, talk about it a little bit in an interview. Um, and this is, again, this is me condensing what the uh, community has to say and what it, what it kind of agrees with. And I do agree with that as well. It's, if you know how to do a, if you know how to set up quickly a node environment for yourself and for a new project to be able to quickly, you know, put a scaffold up of something that you already know and that can cross compile to many different browsers using ES 2015, like transpiling logic, uh, I think that's a big plus. Like if you mention that in an interview, I think that'll be a big plus for, for you. Um, Here, here's a, I actually have a question regarding that. Perfect. Um, with, with that being said about setting up the environments, and I don't know whether you would have the answer or the community would, is where, where would you say is the best place to learn that? And the reason why I asked that is because short of, in my experience, short of being in a boot camp uh, or some other educational program where they're teaching you in a specific stack so they walk you through it oftentimes a lot of the stacks are assumed i find so when i've looked at when we've like been talking about different web apps and stuff like that in the past and i've looked at different web apis when i was like learning how to pull information stuff years ago I went through and they, they would just say like, oh, do this with like, I don't know, I'm just shooting like wor- like uh, keywords out there. So like Gatsby or do this with like, uh, do this with Node or do this with Webpack or do this, like whatever, like all these keywords, all these buzzwords. And I would often just like at that point, I was like, I only knew the vanilla stuff. And so I was really like, where do I kind of start with this? And kind of going to Webpack, like like the Webpack official site or the Gatsby official site, to me, it just seems like it. they kind of expect you to already know exactly what's going on. So, like, where would you say 
is a good place for someone with no no knowledge, no background knowledge of setting up development environments at all? Where should they go to start learning, you know, exactly what is this compiling across sources? What is this thing? Where should you go to learn what it is and which one to go with and how to set that one that you chose up? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I kind of learned the way that you learned, Matt, where I just went into I, – I can't remember exactly which one I started with, but let's say like Vue.js. And it kind of – and I went through the Vue.js thing where like you'd set it up and there's a bunch of different options in Vue to do some cross-compiling stuff and use NPM, add packages, and that's how I learned it. But having said that, there is better ways to do it and – Having learned the way I learned, I would have probably looked at Babel first. Um, I'll put it in the show notes right now so that people can kind of uh, check it out. But it's babeljs.io. And what it is, is it's a cross-compiler essentially. And it gives you that like initial knowledge, like at least initial footstep into the NPM nodes, like NPM server kind of setup. And also gives you cross compiling. So you can, you can do this with basic JavaScript, HTML, CSS files and write regular ES6 code and it'll cross compile to different browsers. And the uh, Babel, the Babel website actually has a lot of, uh, documentation on how to set it up and initial like first use. And there's a little video on the front page that shows you what it does. And it's, it's pretty intuitive. So it shouldn't be too, too bad. But as long as you know the concepts, of this stuff and you're able to kind of learn exactly how you would like uh w- you went to what was it the um tailwinds right you went to tailwinds and they kind of set you like went take took you through the tutorial if you're able to do that you're already a step ahead and that's already a good a good place to start because that's essentially how all these frameworks work it's essentially on on save or on publish it'll c- compile it into a different set of javascript that's able to run on multiple different, you know, browsers and stuff like that to a certain degree. It's not perfect, I would say. Um, but yeah, with that, uh, let's move on to JavaScript frameworks and JavaScript frameworks is a big, like, like it's a, it's an important topic to cover, especially if you're talking about 2019, 2020. Uh, so, but it's, it's kind of contentious because which one is the most important right now? And it's very like it's argumentative because the industry is set in their ways on certain things. So, for instance, I'm sure a lot of you, if you're just starting out, you've heard of React, Angular, and Vue.js. Um, and you're probably thinking that React is probably really popular. Uh, Vue.js, you've heard a lot, especially on this podcast, we talk about Vue.js a lot uh, because I use it quite often in production. But really, like, Angular is still extremely important if you're looking at jobs currently right now. And that's what the community is saying. Like the community is saying that Angular is above Vue.js and jobs right now and maybe even above React. Who knows? Like it's, it's, it's that kind of competition. Um, that's not to say one is better than the other. It's again, it's more of a, um, who got their first situation in a big company. Companies are very reluctant to change because it costs money. It costs money for developers to learn something. It costs money to bring in new developers to teach them or something like that. So it's very difficult to change a larger company to use something new. So I think in my eyes, it's, it's, it depends on what you want out of, out of your career, I guess. Do you want to currently get a job right now? Like immediately, uh, 
in that case, there's a different discussion to be had. Maybe it's more important to learn React. Maybe it's more important to learn Angular. But if you're looking, and we've said this a couple of times, if you're looking for a job in a startup, if you're looking for a job where you can kind of have your own say in what framework to use based on your skills in JavaScript and you you know you're confident in switching frameworks, then Vue.js is still relevant in my opinion. Now, again, the community has differed on that. They're saying React Angular. I'm putting my own, you know, thoughts into this with Vue.js again, but it depends on what stage of life you're at. What do you want currently right now? Because it's evident that React is very popular. Um, and we'll get to this in the next segment for with job posting. I have seen more React jobs, more Angular jobs with TypeScript than I have Vue.js. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But again, future-wise, functionality-wise, I like Vue.js better than the three of them. So I, I think it has a pretty bright future as well. Um, with, with that, there's not like really much else to say on the JavaScript frameworks. It's important to know them. I think it is a very uh, important skill to know before you enter the job market, at least dabble in a little bit, because a lot of jobs will require you to to build in those frameworks, one of those three currently, uh, or a different one that's similar to it or something like that. But regardless, it's important to know that you will be using libraries and frameworks and uh, that that's where the current job market is. A lot, Not a lot of agencies or companies will f- focus on just pure JavaScript. As much a- as awesome as pure JavaScript is and as much as you can do with it, because remember, everything is uh, like essentially built on it. All these frameworks are built on pure JavaScript. So JavaScript can accomplish what they do, but these guys do it like the frameworks do it faster and they do it more efficiently. And it's, and it's a little bit easier to work on it with a team um, because yes, one developer can be really, really good at JavaScript, but if you're bringing on new developers, it's tough to onboard them if uh, you're just using straight JavaScript for everything because your code will be different and it, it won't be, it's not as maintainable uh, with multiple people on your team. That it's it's kind of tough to get across because it's uh, you'd have to see it or kind of be in that environment to understand it because some people are really adamant uh, that you know pure JavaScript can do everything and should do everything, um, but it's it's just like when you have a a, a team and you're when you're bringing new people on it's it's more difficult. Uh, let's just leave it at that. Moving on to the next thing that people agree on is Git. Git is really important. So before you get into the interviews, before like learn Git pretty damn well, in my opinion, uh, because again, when you're integrating it to a team environment, when you have multiple employees, if someone doesn't know Git, that will require them to spin up as fast as possible because every company, again, has a different Git structure, but the Git knowledge will be the same and you'll be able to pick up their Git structure really quickly and integrate into the team and start actually doing important work. And Git Git is a con is a is a version control system. So if you're doing it poorly, it could impact pretty heavily on the on the entire team. Like if you're overwriting people's pull requests, or you're overwriting their branches, or you're deleting stuff by accident, or you're making new branches for no reason that that don't make any sense, it's gonna it's probably going to look negatively on you. And again, it's not something that's hard to learn. It, it's not something that I don't, I think people will have too, too much trouble with, even if they have a very basic understanding. Uh, but I would say it is an important skill. Like in my opinion now, it is an important skill to have, uh, when you're going into the job market, if you're looking to become a web developer in 2019, 2020. 
I actually have a, a thing about Git, and, and we've discussed Git, and like it's, I'm not arguing against its usefulness or its uh, its place in the workplace because we absolutely use it internally now, as we used to use like a OneDrive thing, as we said way in the past. But this is more of a question regarding opinion, or like more of a question of your opinion of it, and it's a couple of things. So number one, do you think that the the rebase button is too close on VS Code? I've accidentally hmm. cl- it's like right beside pull and I've like pulled rebase I think like eight times it's like fuck I didn't mean to do that like it's not even like my git knowledge was a mistake it's like I misclicked it's right so beside it's like a UI it's a, it's, it's more UI concern yeah like with, I'll, with I'll literally pull up well, I'll literally pull up US VS code but like I used to always do all my git stuff in the command line and I just like recently started like not doing that <laughs> and they and then I was like oh I'll just use this VS code thing and like I'm looking at it right now and I click here and it's like yeah pull or pull rebase and so oftentimes I'll just be like, and pull, damn it, I just rebased. And then yeah, it's this whole I mean, other damn thing, and you gotta like exit. And, and, sorry, just, just, because I, I have two questions, and I'll, I'll let you like run with it. But with that being said, there were like eight solutions online on how to fix it as well. So it felt very like, Git, Git seems very solidified at times, but also very abstract sometimes. Like, I find myself, I'll be like, damn, I accidentally rebase. How do I do this? And I have, like, four bookmarks and, like, three different solutions. And, like, you know, a couple of them are very similar. And it's like, why is this not so... Why is this not just, like, in order to back out of a rebase, do this? Because nothing's pushed to the like to push to the repo yet, so, like, it shouldn't be... <laughs> why is there an undo button? Like, why is that rebase button right there? And why is there no confirmation? Like, click, damn. Like, great, now I gotta spend 10 minutes fucking around. Like, why is that, why is that a, explain. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I I haven't had that issue, but I do agree that it's a little bit too close. I just took a look at it. Way too Um, close. (laughs) Yeah, and I I do use the UI sometimes, like, I'm I'm pretty much 50-50 on uh, command line and UI, just whatever I feel like that day. Or whatever I need to do. Sometimes the UI obviously doesn't have exactly what I need to do. Like if I need to pull from origin, I'll I'll use the command line. But regardless, um, the I think it's a UI issue. I think they could fix it. I, I, again, I haven't I haven't done it yet. I wonder if other people have this issue. Chime in, con- contact us on the on the socials, and let us know. Uh, but to point to your second point, why there why there why is there multiple ways to do the same thing? Uh, and I, I have run into this a couple times. And what I'm understanding is it's because team uh, work structures vary so differently that it was it kind of was built into Git to be super flexible because everyone does it differently. So the four re- different rebase maneuvers that reversed your rebase are probably useful in very specific conditions for different ways. Just your way is very generic, but if you had like a different set of attributes, like maybe you had two people rebase or something ridiculous like that, you know what I mean? Like if you have a massive team environment and everyone's trying to do version control, it gets really complicated. And I think because of that, you have all these redundant things that do the same the same process, but in a slightly different way because this way would screw up this thing and this way would screw up that thing. I think that's the reason uh it's not standardized as much as we would want it to be um I, that that's just my guess though 
again, it, it could be, it could, it could be a different reason. I'm not sure. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a Git super user. That's for sure. Like I have, I manage a Git for like maximum four people, five people. So it's not very, it's not very complicated. Like our, our Git structure is like, you know, I do do pull requests. I do have some sort of structure with how you do your commits with like tagging your commits properly and stuff like that. But other than that, like I don't like again, I I barely ever do rebasing. I've, I think I've rebased once or twice. And I don't even remember why. I don't even know. Uh, I don't really know what it does. Like I've never had yeah. to use it. I just know that I've accidentally done it a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. So like there, I'm probably using ten percent of what Git can give me, and that's why again that ne- that other ninety percent is why there's four different ways of rebasing. Well, all right, fair enough. At least there's some sort of solution, and it's not just old, like, leftover versions of Git that they just left these commands in or something, you know? At least there's like, some I, it, sort of purpose. It's possible, but I don't think so. I think it, I think it does serve purpose. Okay, well, at least that. Yeah. So, moving on, uh, the other thing that uh, the community kind of agreed on is Docker. Um, and it's not necessarily to know Docker on how to make a container and how to like create all the little things on it. Although that is a cool skill to have. It's more of a DevOps and backend skill, I would say. Um, but on the front end side, just know how to use Docker. So if somewhere to get, to give you a Docker container, could you launch it, put your website on it, update and, you know, use it in your testing environment. That's that's the key with Docker. And, and for those people that don't know, uh, Docker is a kind of virtual server in a container. So what it does is it gives you the ability to emulate exactly your production environment with all of its things in a, like a mini VM, virtual machine, on your local machine. So you can have the same settings running on your local machine in a small little package that you do have on your production machine uh, without having to create, you know, like a, a a whole VM for it and doing all the same settings, and it's reproducible, so someone can give you a container, you can double click it, open it, and you have that same VM. So it's it's a very in, uh, extensible thing. Like it's something that's very powerful in a in a you know a lar- again larger team environments, which is usually what these like. M- there's more of job opportunities in larger team environments. That's why I guess Docker is uh, something that the the community has agreed is important. The other thing is uh, backend. So I've been, I've been kind of just talking about front end stuff, but backend is also really important. And the three kind of big technologies that people are talking about in backend is PHP, Node, and .NET. Um, not maybe in that order. Maybe maybe it's even PHP, .NET, Node in popularity as far as I'm seeing, uh, which is a little bit strange to me. But essentially, PHP is dominant. Um, in the industry right now. And where PHP includes WordPress and Drupal, which is why it's so dominant. Uh, but it's not necessarily the thing that everyone recommends. And there's a lot of contention here. So there's a lot of arguments in, in this thread and, and uh, that I've seen in real life where like people, some people say like, okay, PHP is a dead end language. So if you learn PHP, you're going to be kind of in a dead end job doing WordPress plugins and that's it at $10 an hour and you're going to be making minimum wage. Um, and then there's other people that are saying, well, PHP, there's Laravel, which is a, you know, a newer age framework for PHP that you can do a lot with and it's very extensible and PHP is a good language. So you could build your skills and build a very efficient server on PHP that still runs modern web technologies. So there is a divide in this. And the thing is, is that if you're looking for a job right now, PHP is very highly still in demand. That's I 
in my opinion, that's 100% true. Uh, it is still a very viable server language. Um, I don't, I don't, I personally don't code in it very often because I have no need. Um, but if I, again, if I was searching for a job this very second, PHP would be high on my list of skills that I'd probably need to learn. And that includes WordPress and Drupal. Um, maybe like one or the other, but I would, I would probably learn a little bit of both at least. You know what? If you I know what? One- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, you know what? You know what? A, a good example of this would be is WordPress is sort of the WordPress and PHP are sort of the, the iPhone app language, if you will. I, I always forget the name of the iPhone app language, but it's sort Swift. of like Swift. Thank you. Um, I always want to say shift for some reason. I always know it's wrong. And then I never remember what the actual thing is. Um, but it's like WordPress is super uh, popular. It's like a platform. And we've had a few episodes on that. Of course, it's all over the place and you might end up in one of those dead end jobs. Fine. But it'd be like becoming an app developer and then not being like, eh, I'm just not going to learn any, like any sort of iPhone, like native stuff. Almost said shift again. All right. Anyway. Uh, but it, it'd be, it's, it's really the equivalent of that. So I don't know if it's so much dead end as it is old. And when you and I went to that one startup event, Mike, last winter, I believe, or maybe two winters ago, they actually said, or one dude actually said to me that he was building an app. And I was like, oh, okay, like, what are you building? Whatever, right? You know? And he said, well, you're going to hate me for this. It's because it's in PHP. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> like, whatever. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's weird that people have to pre, pretense their you know statement that they're using php and you should hate me for that i I don't think that that's the right mindset um that's not to say that the other the other languages are bad like so why is node so popular and why is node so like pushed in this industry right now why do people talk about node so much is because it's a javascript language so when you're onboarding people into your company and they're learning what like a language if they know if they already know front end javascript you can throw them into node and they wouldn't have too much of a ramp up and they could already be a back end with front end skills that they could you know interchange someone goes on vacation they can come back and help out in the front end so it's very powerful to have one like one language for two different systems other than that yes node has some specialties that it does better than php Little things like, again, like a chat app would be written better in Node for sure. But in general, web development for small businesses, there's no, like, it's not one or the other. Like, it's not, one is not dominant over the other in terms of performance, in my opinion, for a small business. It's the same kind of, you know, the the same kind of functionality in both. It's just preference and knowledge base that, that pushes one or the other. And there's a lot of PHP developers out there right now because it's been such a dominant language for so long. So in my opinion, it's not terrible to use PHP. It's not bad to use WordPress. It's not bad to use Drupal. It's just there's a lot of stigma associated with it because there's so many jobs in those in those spheres. Like a lot of jobs are in the PHP, WordPress, Drupal spheres where people call them. And this is a direct quote from this thread that I'm reading, a CMS work sweatshop. Like, so when you get into these agencies that only code in those languages, it is a dead end job in the sense that you're only doing WordPress and you're not learning anything new and you're doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, kind of like a sweatshop and you're not making that much money. And there are a lot of those jobs available. That's the thing. Like, so it, 
there is a reason why there there's stigma to it, but there's also there it shouldn't be a blanket statement to say like oh don't use word don't use PHP for any for any project. No, it's still a viable thing that people can use. Now, with that being said, Node again, I just talked about it, but Node is very popular in the startup realm right now. And again, I I kind of mentioned why like it has that JavaScript inter- interoperability, so you have the potential of passing talent back and forth a lot easier. Uh, it does do consecutive requests better. So if you have a site that's going to be hit consecutively by a lot of people, it can be a better language to choose in that sense. Um, now that's not all, that doesn't work across all different spheres and stuff like that. That's why I say it, you can't just blanket statement that node is better than PHP. It is better in very specific instances. And then there's another one, .NET, which is a Microsoft framework for doing backend. I believe you code in C sharp. Um, I haven't done any coding with .NET, uh, I don't think ever, but it is a very high job opportunity language. Like there's a lot of Microsoft stacks out there uh, that are currently need to be either maintained or updated or, you know, written anew because there's a lot of people that still like that stack and you kind of like it's, it does have its pluses and minuses and I don't, I don't know them off the top of my head, but that's kind of the, the consensus that I'm getting from this thread is that it's still an important thing and it has come a long way since back in the days of web forms and stuff like that where it was used prominently. Uh, it has come a long way and it, ha- it is a very similar experience to coding in PHP and Node. So again, knowledge is power. So you know, all three, all three of those are very viable currently. Um, I again, if you're looking for a job right now, PHP is definitely the way to go. If that's if that's the if that's the answer to the question of what's most in demand. But if I was looking to the future, I would probably be learning Node. Uh, I would probably be learning Node if I was looking to the future. Well, here's here's a question with that. Then would would you say that something like WordPress is ever going to go and leave PHP or Drupal or any of those? Do you really see those those frameworks ever? Maybe they wouldn't be called WordPress anymore or something. Well, WordPress is pretty much a brand, so it would probably still be called WordPress. But Drupal, I would say, is less of a consumer brand and more of a thing known among developers than WordPress. So Drupal might live on – maybe the team would spin up some some new framework, right, called something else. But WordPress would – because it's such a brand, WordPress would evolve and or potentially evolve and become something else. So or like so no, I don't see it ever leaving PHP. Both of those things. Both are big, both have all their features already set. Uh there I see there's no reason for them to ever leave PHP. And I don't think they ever will. Like they'd they'd probably die before they leave PHP and we're talking like many many years down the line if it ever happens. Um which is why like PHP is a good language to learn. Like there's nothing wrong with learning it. But again, you it's not like you're pigeon you're you're not pigeonholing yourself into a into a situation where you're going to be working in a CMS sweatshop, but you are increasing the chances of it. So it depends on again what you need right now out of the industry. Do you need a job right now, and you're willing to work anywhere to kind of get that experience? PHP is definitely the way to go for that. Um, but if you're willing, if you are more working looking for an a, like a better environment, and you're looking for a better you know being able to kind of take on larger projects yourself and stuff like that, then that's why I would suggest Node. That that's my only reasoning behind it. Is like in my my preferences, I would rather work in a startup environment or a small company environment rather than working in a large company 
and having to maintain older databases, older code, and having to do cookie cutter WordPress sites. But some people might be fine with that. Okay, interesting. Yeah. This is that comment you just made actually is going to play really well into our web news, I think. Perfect. So the last thing here is cloud computing and I don't know much about this. I'm not I'm not a cloud computing expert, so I'm not going to spend too much time on discussing my views on it, but what I'm seeing is is that if you take one of those AWS courses, that does increase your chances at a higher paid employment. So AWS is uh Amazon Web Services uh, and it's their cloud computing platform where you can, you know, store data, host uh, virtual private servers, stuff like that. You can do a lot in, in cloud computing. And it is kind of one another one of those skills that is important right now and in, 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 it is in demand from a web developer in 2019. Not much to say on that. Just just something that people could look into if they're looking for a job right now. Should, how How viable is Azure? And how, tra- I think how transferable a, it, would it be? So, do you think? So a lot of the a lot of the stuff would be transferable, but not everything. So like spinning up an AWS is very different from spinning up an Azure. So it it would be transferable in the sense that yes, if you know virtual private servers, you can transfer that knowledge. Uh, but knowing the specific infrastructure seems to be what these what everyone's referring to, and no one in this thread has mentioned Azure. Azure. So if that if that has any indication of the industry, I'm not sure. There's not that many people that have talked in this thread, but uh, that's what I'm seeing. That's just what I'm reporting to uh, to our audience. <laughs> Fair enough. I uh, mean, it seems like it seems like Azure definitely powers a lot of. I mean, Microsoft in and of itself is a big company. Obviously, they have a huge need for infrastructure. Again, obviously, and so they would be pulling in a lot of their own services through their own cloud computing platform. So Azure is popular in in and of that right, where where like obviously they need things like well, a big one would be like Xbox Game Pass, Xbox Live, stuff like that. I don't know whether that's specifically on Azure, but like I'm sure that a lot of their infrastructure does lie within. Well, obviously it's their own infrastructure, and so that's kind of where that would come from. And so mm-hmm. the reason why I bring that up is I wonder if the reason why we haven't heard a lot about that from that thread. I mean, this is like a very small sample; it's a thread, but it, maybe the reason why we haven't heard from it is it's because the people who are working on jobs that use Azure are more established sort of doing cookie cutter, doing not necessarily older stuff, but they're doing more of those sort of like already established. You work on the game pass data stores or something like, again, I don't know if game pass is on there, but you work on the game pass data stores. You work on the Xbox live username. So they're not looking to push their self forward. They're just climbing the corporate ladder within a company like Microsoft, for example. Yeah. And I agree. And honestly, I've heard very good things about Azure. So if I was considering the two, I would take a very hard look at Azure because I think it's their pricing model is a little bit more lenient and a little bit more forgiving. Uh, apparently, AWS does scale like a, like an MF. It gets, it gets pretty crazy. Um, with that being said, though, uh, let's move on to segment number two, which is what do the job postings say? And here... Um, I kind of went through probably around 20 job postings in my area, which is uh, the Mississauga, Toronto area. I focused on those cities for the most part, Oakville and stuff like that. So uh, uh, it's it could be rele- relevant to a larger city area and its surrounding area, essentially. Um, and what I found is interesting. It does correlate to what the people are saying or what people are agreeing on at least. Uh, but it does have some things that are different and some things that are really weird that I want to discuss. So 
first of all, PHP, very common. Almost, almost everyone, like out of the 20, like I would say 15 had PHP somewhere in their, in their thing. And WordPress dominantly, probably out of those 15 PHP ones, probably like 12 or 13 of them mentioned WordPress and Drupal. Uh, so again, that, that is a very common thread. If you know P- WordPress and you're very good at it, you could probably make pretty good money, uh, as a web developer. So it's, it's again, this is 2019. We're talking about WordPress again. So it, it is, it is sticking around and I don't know. It might even becoming more popular. That's, that could be a controversial statement, but I, I it might be honestly you know, the way people are talking about it. The other thing, uh, pay is very, significantly tied to uh, knowledge and experience. So like people were saying, those cookie cutter uh, sweatshop kind of PHP WordPress jobs, they could range from like minimum wage to 20 bucks an hour um, at best. But when you go with something that requires like multiple years of experience in many, many different uh, frameworks and stuff like that, you're talking a very big pay bump to like $30, $40 an hour, stuff like that. Uh, so that definitely does correlate. The more, the more, you know, the more experience you have does correlate to better pay, which is good for our industry. Uh, we, we want that. We don't want to be stuck at a, at a terrible pay, even though we know more. So that, that kind of promotes the thought of like, yes, if you're going to go into a PHP sweatshop kind of position, is it worth it because you're not learning anything else and you're not expanding your resume enough for you to be able to get a better placement in a better and more, and more money in the future? So the other thing, uh, front end frameworks are in demand. They're not as in demand as PHP or anything, but I did see multiple mentions of React. Uh, I saw met multiple mentions of Angular uh, with TypeScript. So apparently you need to know TypeScript to, to be able to do Angular. Uh, and I saw, I think, only one mention out of those 20 of Vue.js. So take that as you will. That's just literally my what, what I saw. So again, if you're looking for a job right now, I did, rec- I did say like React, Angular are probably the ways to go. Uh, but again, I, I did see a Vue.js job and I only looked at about 20, 25. I might look at more with, uh, with, with Matt live on the air right now, <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, but essentially if, if I take, if I take a look right now and I'm going to open one of these up and kind of want, I kind of want to discuss a little bit, uh, what, what do the posting say and what does it mean for you as a developer is very, um, interesting. Like it's a very, it's a very interesting discussion because, I don't know if it's possible for these people to get a, a client, a, an applicant that has all the requirements. Like, I don't think almost any of these postings will get exactly what they're looking for, but I don't think that that should stop people from applying because I think that the, what, what they're doing with their asks and their asks can be like very extravagant. Like you need to know 15 different database uh, architectures. You need to know, uh, all the different backend stuff, the the front end stuff, and you need to be a UI UX expert. Like I've seen, I've literally seen a posting, uh, a posting like that. And I think that what they're doing with that, unless they're crazy, they might be crazy. And I'm not going to name any companies right now because I don't want to implicate myself or anything like that. Uh, but if they are crazy, that's fine. But if they're not, what they're doing is they're trying to weed out the the people that aren't serious and that aren't willing to learn more. So what I would do is I would still apply. I would be straight up on my resume, like what I know as much as I possibly can. Um, 
And in the interview, I would explain like, yes, I don't know exactly all your requirements, but this is my knowledge base and this is how fast I learned these things. And I would kind of, kind of go from there. But if you take a look at some of these requirements, like uh, let me, let me open up this uh, one of these links that I have here and we'll probably take the links out of the show notes, Matt, because I don't want, again, I don't want to call any company out for. Yeah. So the first link goes to, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so the second link here is a, is a position for like a full-time position, 50 to $60,000 a year, Canadian. This is like Canadian rupees. Not, not exactly the greatest currency. No, no, no. Excuse me. It's CAD, Clown Association dollars. Yeah. So you must have, and I'm going to just, I'm going to list them all out just so people understand that this is a you must have. Website development, PHP, HTML, CSS, less SAS, strong knowledge of Flexbox, JavaScript, MySQL, WordPress, deployment migration, experience with Divi is preferred. I don't know what Divi is, actually. SEO, asset optimization, image sizing, compression of best practices, Google Developer Console, cloud APIs, Git and SVN, website analysis, Google Analytics, data analysis, Google Tag Manager, event and conversion tracking, website design, UI, UX design, website and app development. So you need to have all those to apply to a job, to this job. Matt, do you think that's reasonable? And only three years web development experience. That's weird, right? See, the thing thing is, is like that is outrageous. Like the list of demands or the list of wants is outrageous. However, this could be an HR person that's just being like, what do I need? Oh, we need an experienced web developer. Okay, I'm going to Google that and just like pull all the information from other job postings or from websites or whatever through my research. And then I'll make up a post and I'll just post it. Like a lot of the time I find that I think I've seen a few Reddit posts here and there and other things where they've said like, oh, you need 10 years experience with UJS. Uh, not physically possible. Yeah. But you need I that. have seen that. You know what I mean? So, have, so, so have, stuff have, like that know. is definitely an HR guy that's just saying like, oh, a lot of experience. Well, a lot is 10. So 10. Because they don't know. Like, like they like the hell, like what the hell, why, why and, and why, like, why would they know? And like, they shouldn't know either. It really should be the technical department that's going over it. Although like, see, this is, this is the problem with this stuff like this. If I like, like seeing this, okay, you and I have been in the business for a while. Seeing this, if this was legitimately the post I see every day, I'm going back to IT. <laughs> because, and, and, and I'm not trying to sound like I'm down on myself or something like that, but like we, I have like a lot of the, or I do a lot of the business administration stuff. So I'm not the most versed in all the languages. I'm not the most versed in setting stuff up. I'm like definitely a jack of all trades because a, a good portion of my stuff goes toward the business, business administration side of things. And seeing something like this, there's no way like to me, it's going to be like, am I going to be thrown into the deep end and I'm just supposed to know stuff? Am I supposed to be an expert in everything after these supposed three years? What is, what's the angle here? And, and, and what I see out of this, and really this isn't these companies problem, but what I see out of this is if I was somebody who wasn't even in the web development industry and decided to go into it, I wouldn't even know what to learn. I would be like, well, I have to learn all of this and I, and within three years and I might be able to learn a, like a fair portion of it, but like, this is a lot of stuff. What do I do? Like, do I learn, like, am I supposed to learn? Okay. Let's master JS in two months. Then let's master PHP in the next two months. And then also remember all of that and continue on with like Vue.js. And, and then I got to learn like Google analytics and I got to learn PHP and I got to learn CSS with 
a strong knowledge of Flexbox and I got to learn, you know, less in SAS. See, what's, what's weird is, is this CSS stuff is like less in SAS and, 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 and Flexbox are pretty like standard run of the mill stuff. MySQL, sure. WordPress, but like, what does that mean? Does that mean I need to know specifically like the plugin infrastructure? Am I managing WordPress? Like what piece of WordPress do I need to know? Do I need to know more of the, do I need to make my own themes? Do I just need to know how to make plugins? Am I not making anything? Am I just using WordPress? Uh, like they do ask for PHP, so it could be both, uh, asset optimization, image sizing and compression best practices. Like, like this is getting, like this is, this is out of control. This is out of control. How, how, like, like you could spend a whole year messing, well, maybe not a year, but like you could spend like half a year messing around with learning asset optimization and image sizing and compression best practices. Or you could do it once, notice your project's loading poorly, then look it up and fix it, and then that's it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, like, really? Like, you, you learn preloading, you learn, you learn, you know, next generation file formats, as Chrome always complains about, and whatever. Like, it, it that's it. <laughs> like, it, this is outrageous. This type of stuff, if, it, if this is from a technical department, like, this is crazy. And this is actually another thing, too. Is this type of, this type of thing, and I'm not, I'm not trying to call this company out. Like, this is just, I'm talking about this type of post where it has a lot of these skills. I think, personally, this, when you ask for a bunch of skills in a post, I personally believe this is what breeds the arrogant developer type of personality. Where I know a couple of developers where they will literally, like, call you right out and be like, you don't know this? Like, you are an idiot. Like, why are you in the industry? Go, go sweep, go sweep a mechanic's garage for a living. Like, like you are a moron. And, and, and like legitimately though, like, like you and I have met developers like that. There are people out there like that. And, and there's people out there where they're, they're at such a level where they've done this for so long and they're so tuned into it and they're so into their job like this where they literally, they will even, they'll go a step further and, they actually won't even try to spin people up. Like these are the these are the the 10x engineers. Actually, the, we've covered this on a previous episode. The, these are the 10x engineers, the guys who just know, quote unquote, know everything, and just go like like anyone else who knows anything less is an idiot. It's like okay, well, all right. And then they're they're also the same guy when you ask them a question. If they don't know it, then I'm an idiot for asking such a question. So that's good. <laughs> like. like you know, I I don't know if I I don't know if you get that same sort of impression as stuff like this, but anyone with all of these skills, like congratulations, that's really great. But like, holy crap! Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's it's tough to like I can I can talk about most of these things on here. Oh, it, but there's same no thing. way. Yeah, like that's the thing. There's no way I could say that I know how to do every every one of these things. Like, and maybe it's just we don't have the enough experience but i feel like we we have been in the industry for quite a long time um but again i think it is kind of a a gatekeeping thing in the sense that they're trying to keep or maybe it's on not on purpose maybe they are wasting talent like maybe talent isn't uh applying because of what you're saying where they're just getting overwhelmed with all the technologies that you need to know uh and they don't even apply. But I, another option is maybe they're doing this so that they get only serious applications. Or they only get 10X. Something or like that. Or they only get the 10X engineers, yeah. 
But again, the 10x engineer is not going to go to a job that's fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year. See, the, what's weird about what's weird about the 10x is that their social their social status or their social um, not social status. What do you, would you call it? Like they're very uh, antisocial, is what I'm trying to say. They're very antisocial, and that's actually like really bad for interviewing. Yeah. So I'm kind of I kind of think that maybe some of them might end up falling into like they have to take a lower paying job because of that. I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. I mean, the other thing is like I'm looking at other jobs right now. Uh, another thing that's being held up is the .NET requirements. Out of the last six jobs that I've looked, four of them require like don't say like this is a plus. Require .NET lived experience anywhere between like three to five years of it. So apparently there's a lot of jobs in the .NET realm. And I'm looking at one job right now in Mississauga that's $140,000 a year. And it's much more reasonable in the sense like, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, it is a managing position of developers, but it's like requirement is .NET essentially. There's not much else you need to know other than like the technicalities of being a developer, like, you know, system architecture and design. Like these are people that the computer engineers, but they're not asking you for 20 different technologies. They're asking you for literally, do you know .NET? Oh, I, I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a different, it's a different position. So, and this is a much higher, like higher pay position. So is it that the companies that are asking for these like plethora of different technologies, maybe they're not expecting you to know them. They're expecting you to be able to pick them up as much as possible. You must like, well, that, I don't that, know. Like, that's, it, re- it, that's reasonable because I, I yeah. like, like, See a lot. I find that a lot of people where they they land in a company and then they will slowly grow into a position that they're given, or the slowly grow into an internal position that they've applied for, or something like that. That type of stuff is a little bit more reasonable. And 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 a lot of the thing too is a lot of companies will have like sort of like a boilerplate uh, role where you get paid like a little over minimum wage or something like that, and you usually stay there for six six months to a year. And it's not like officially like it's not called like this is the boilerplate department. But what it basically is is they will they will kind of advertise internally to you and be like, hey, you guys should check out this internal job fair. You guys should check out this internal job board because they're trying to see who's serious, who's just there for a few bucks and then they're gonna leave. Who's who wants who's dedicated to the company? Uh, who who's gonna you know act like an idiot in the company? Who who don't they want there socially? For example, if the person's rude or something, there's sort of like there's roles in companies like that where. If you put up with having, you know, lesser pay and usually menial work for a year, then they're like, okay, this person's dedicated. So now maybe we could put you in a mentorship program or, or something, right? There are companies that have their own procedure for your path. You get to choose, oh, I want to go into web development. I want to go into management. I want to like do whatever. There are companies, there are companies that will do that. But like reading job posts like this, like, I don't know, I don't know about you. Reading job posts like this, I thought like I would never apply to, I would never apply to a web development job. I don't think. <laughs> I think I would go back to IT where, and and this this is this is weird. Like this is this might be weird, and you might be like, well, Matt's an idiot, but like I because I I'm experienced in IT enough where I can call people idiots, if that makes sense. Where I like I've I already excelled to the point where like I wouldn't do that. Like I'm not gonna go into your job place and call people idiots. But I feel like I'm advanced enough where if someone comes in and has like a conversation with me, I can have a conversation with them about like the troubleshooting procedure is a huge thing in IT, obviously. I can have like a full out conversation with like a senior IT tech about troubleshooting something. I can absolutely do that. 
But if you come to me with like a very senior JavaScript problem, even though I've touched JavaScript for several years, I'm I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be the fool in the room. I'm gonna feel like an idiot. And so like the the I think the the main problem with web development in terms of these job posts is actually the fact that there is no clear path. Like now you're talking, you know what I mean? Now we're talking about not net. So it's like, now do we learn dot net? Like, <laughs> like yeah. oh, I was doing WordPress for years. So I got to learn dot net. You learn dot net. And then it's like, oh, and now I don't know CSS and SAS. Like, where's it end? Like, I, I don't see an end here. Whereas with IT, you have, you, if I, you know, Microsoft systems, you go to a company that has Microsoft infrastructure internally and, <laughs> and then that's it. Like, you know what I mean? That, that's the end of it. You, and, and there's little intricacies and stuff like that you need to learn, like anything else. But for the most part, you could figure it out. But you're still going to be able to have a conversation with the guy where you're going to be like, I get to this menu and I get an error. Whereas with this, you're going to be like, I don't know what a callback is. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like the basics. You're not going to, what's a class? What's object oriented? Uh, I don't know. There's something, there's something with this where maybe it's just because I have years of experience in IT and like, so do you. But you, uh, do you do you get what I'm saying? Like, do you get the page that I'm advertising here? Like, yeah, I get, I get the page that you're advertising, but like, I would still apply. I, that's the difference, I guess. That in in my eyes is, I would still apply and I would try to get to the interview because I feel like if I'm at the interview, I could probably sell myself pretty well. But if they start asking um, you questions with like, okay, like write a PHP uh, program, then let's write an HTML CSS JS one. Now let's also do that. here. Here's a Google Analytics like thing. You know, analyze this and see. Tell me what keywords. <laughs> Again, what I mean? if, like, uh, like it de- depending on what what state I'm in. Like, I would before I would go to the interview. Now, this uh, one that we were saying that has 20 different technologies. I'm not going to be able to learn exactly how to write code in 20 different technologies on the spot on paper. But if I was doing like a very specific one, like C, like C Sharp, if I was a C Sharp developer, before I would go into the interview, I would just look up the, you know, C Sharp development questions, like uh, interview questions. I would get them down, at least make sure that I understand them to a certain degree. And then I would go in and try to do it. If I can't do it, then whatever. Like I'll just go to the next interview. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's not like if, if they ask you to code on paper, it's going to be a challenge, but Sometimes like it's just you do what you can. Sometimes they're okay with that. Like sometimes they 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 don't necessarily want you to write perfect syntax code as long as they see that you have the right structure of it. So I don't know. It's it's a different mindset. So like if you if for for instance for you if they were to ask you to here's here's a UX here's a here's a like a customer's demands for a UX and a UI. Can you lay out like a basic web page based on these demands? Yeah. That's something that you could do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like, you, yeah, you don't go into JavaScript very deeply, but that's just your role right now. Right? Your role right now is UX, UI for the most part. Yeah. And man- ma- managing managing clients and managing uh, CMSs and stuff like that. Like if they gave you a couch issue or a web flow issue, you could solve it. So that's just, it's literally just a technology thing. And that's, and what you were saying was completely correct. Like you go in, you go in and you look at these things. There, there's tons of web development jobs out there, but there's so many different technologies that it is kind of like firing into a barrel of what you need to learn. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, it, what it's, do you, what do you, what do I need? Like I need dot <laughs> net. Maybe like, maybe you invest all your time in dot net. So now you're down from like 200 
jobs to like 150 or something because .NET's pretty in use. And then maybe you need a certain specific framework in .NET and now you're down like another like 50 jobs. So it, it is – you do kind of hedge your bets depending on what you choose. But that's why we always suggest to learn the basics really well. So like if you wanted a JavaScript job, I would go in and learn JavaScript very well to the point where you could talk about it very well in an interview-like setting. And then you would be more confident to go in. And if they do ask you a question about a JavaScript framework that you don't know, you can be like, oh, okay, well, that's something that I could learn because I know this in in basic JavaScript. Like I know how it works on a basic level. That's how I would do it in JavaScript. In in a in a JavaScript uh, framework, this is how I would optimize it. Like this is how I would kind of do it myself. It's something like that. You could you could get your way through an interview with that kind of logic and showing that you're willing to learn, uh, showing that you're willing to kind of listen and and be molded by maybe a team, like a team of senior developers, is also a very important skill. And then, again, I'm talking to a lot of people right now that are junior developers or just starting out or just learning so that that's kind of the audience that i'm going for is like it's important to go out there and not like like explain what you know but also explain that you're willing to learn and you're willing to listen and you're willing to adapt and show that you're willing to adapt as much as you can that's that's where i would go go at it from if i was looking for a job um and that's what i would go at it from if i was hiring people too is like if if a person came in front of me and maybe they didn't have a couple of the skills that I had on the on the uh, per, like profile that I needed for for the posting. But as long as they prove that a they research those you know technologies, they can at least talk about those technologies, and b they they can learn quickly. I don't. I'd rather have that guy than have the guy that knows those technolo- those technologies perfectly, but is not willing to adapt or learn. Because our industry is always changing. It might they might be asking for .NET now, but you might get to the job and six months later they might switch to Node, and they they know that. That's really good. So, that's, that's a pretty good point because I mean some companies might be setting their ways big time, but I think it might just be the reason why I'm so dismissive of these. I mean I'm only looking at the one the one posting you put up. Uh, I'm not like because I think you're flipping through some. I'm only looking at the mm-hmm. one, but. I think maybe like it's it's more of a confidence thing where like I haven't done a developer interview and so like I really don't like I I'm just kind of doing the human thing where I'm defaulting back into being like well I'll go back to my comfort zone where like I know how to do all this stuff where I know generally like how to whatever like fix printers and like whatever else IT does right all all the all the normal IT things uh I I like I'm just kind of like defaulting. I'm just like being like, well, I'm going back to my comfort zone. See you later, guys. Like that's the end of it. That's the end of that chapter. Whereas, like when you mentioned the JavaScript thing, I really could, like in a in a, even like a couple of weeks, I could learn a bunch of JavaScript because I know enough to be like, okay, like I need to brush up on this. I need to learn more about classes and this that that. Like more than just the UI control, I need to learn more about JavaScript. So here we go. And I could do that. Exactly. Like I made a whole app that like I made a whole like a uh, news app. Remember that one time with that pulled from RSS and everything. I did all that. Now, most of that knowledge is lost on me now, but I did that in like two weeks. Like it wasn't like I, it's enough, like I have enough there where it's not like I'm learning like what's a variable. <laughs> like I'm not at that yeah. level. So well, that's the thing. Like, and you wouldn't be put in front of the interview like right now. No, you would be put in the, in front of the interview maybe in like two weeks or, or a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like if if you're if you were looking for something and in that time you could you could learn you can get your skills back up to the point where you could talk in an interview about JavaScript. I'm positive about that. So that that that's kind of where I want to leave this discussion, I think. 
Um, unless you have anything else to add, we can move on to the sponsor and web news. Yeah, I think I think we can move on uh, move on over to uh, our sponsor spot because I think the the web news is going to kind of tie into this this these topics really well. So uh, our our episode sponsor again is uh, once again the uh, one membership by Template Monster. One membership, your ultimate web development kit. This includes. WordPress and CMS themes, e-commerce themes, powerful plugins, presentation themes, diverse graphics, unlimited installations, 24-7 technical support, and one year of free hosting. Use our link, tinyurl.com slash HTML, all the things, and our unique promo code to get 10% off as HTML, all the things, 10. We do receive a monetary kickback for any purchases made using our link and promo code, and I will include the link and promo code in our show notes, so you can see them and click them and use them as you see fit. Now, onto our uh, onto our web news: uh, old decisions, new projects. So this one, I'm kind of just. Uh, I actually thought of this one strangely driving home last night at like two in the morning. I was I was on my way home uh, from a friend's house, and um, I just thought of this where. Uh, we're, we have a couple of projects coming up in the new year, uh, a couple of websites. One of them is the HTML, all the things website. And the other one I'm keeping under wraps for now, uh, until we, uh, sort of flush it out a bit. But one of the things I was thinking of was how, how different we, we are going to be managing these two projects. So Mike and I were discussing even before the show that we wouldn't have even considered doing the second project, the second unannounced project, if it weren't for the first project. And, that process, that uh, thought process in and of itself is due to the, all the stuff that we've learned. Uh, one of the first projects that we ever did was Free Photos Hamilton, which is a stock photo website for the local city of Hamilton. And, uh, like that project didn't do so well monetarily or anything like that. Uh, and one of the things I was thinking of is how different our management or our, our approach and our thoughts were back then when we started Free Photos Hamilton versus now. And so what I want this web news to touch on specifically is how those differences in experience and start time really change how we approach projects and how we evolve projects over time. So I'll just lay out like a real simple, really generic solution. Uh, or, uh, example rather. So let's say, for example, you're managing a project. Let's just say it's a website. You're managing a project right outside of high school. So you have some technical knowledge and you go through and you're managing this project for years and years and years. And you continually manage it from, you know, right out of high school through your college education, through getting a full-time job. And you're still managing this little side website project. Now, for many of us, we would have, well, for, I would hope after going through college, you would have learned a bunch of new skills and a bunch of new ways to approach that project. But that, because that project is old and because that project has been around for so long, many of the decisions that you made when you were, you know, uninformed, misinformed, or just like less experienced overall are going to be either continually affecting the business or continually affecting that website up until now. And you're still going to treat that project differently. You're still going to treat that project a little bit the way you did in the beginning because you're kind of establishing a comfort zone. You're establishing a comfort zone for yourself where you, Make a post, I don't know, well, let's say your, your, your thing is you make a post every week and you make, you make one video post a week and you make one written post a week. Let's just hypothetically say that maybe that's like your comfort zone. That's what you've been doing since the beginning and it is working. So you just go, 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 go and go. But then maybe you want to spin up a new project now. So now you're full-time employed. Yeah. Maybe you have some extra time and you want to have a second side hustle and you want to spin up a new project. 
you're starting off on, on with that project with a whole set of knowledge where, let's say, with your first little side hustle, you took out this much money for advertising and you learned that that was a big waste of time and it set you back budget-wise a whole year. Now you're already a year ahead on your new project. And there's going to be several of those type of decisions, marketing and coding and everything else, depending on what you did in the project, content creation, whatever it is, you there's going to be multiple of those decisions put into a new project. So here's sort of my questions or my uh, conversation drivers is, are you one of those people that would want to rip up the project? So we've talked about Free Photos Hamilton and redoing it with our current knowledge. And we've said we basically need to scuttle it and re- redo it. And be, we would reapproach it with a whole bunch of the stuff we've learned. So is there a value in that? Would you do that? And would you say that doing a new project is discouraged by an old one. So an example would be you went through doing this little side hustle from high school through post through post secondary and you you know you, you let's say you just struggled with it like that was your job you made a little bit of money off of it and that was your job and you like really kind of struggled with it. And because there was like a struggle there because you were learning, you're going to be sort of discouraged into going into another project. But you don't realize yourself that that project is essentially skill-wise starting out let's say 5 years ahead of what the other one was. And so with that, do you think that that's a real thing? Because I think it is. And do you think that your new projects should event, like, or do you think that your old projects should always be refurbished, or do you think that you should just keep your old projects going the way they are, you know, kind of set in the past a little bit and just you know advancing as it needs to, and then just make sure your new projects are really good and ready to set off. Okay, uh, so in my eyes. Uh, let's, let's take free photos, Hamilton as an example, which is a site that we created. I think it was like four years ago now, something like that. Yeah. Something like that, uh, where we would post pictures of Hamilton, which is the city that we live in or Matt, Matt lives nearby, I guess, uh, because we have a nice surrounding area. There's a lot of like waterfalls and creeks and it, it, there's a lot of nature and stuff. So we would take pictures, post them on that site and kind of promote, this site as a place for really nice pictures of Hamilton uh, with a long-term goal of having multiple people also join us and post pictures of Hamilton on the site and use social media uh, to market it and then use ads on the site to eventually monetize it. Um, I mean, we monetize it right from the, the get-go, but to actually generate an income from it. Um, with that, I love that idea. I still like that idea a lot. And I think it's under you like i think there is a market for it i would love to redo it from scratch make a new one make it like nice and modern and ability for a bunch of people to automatically come and add and it would be a curated list of people to add like there's a lot of things that i would want to do with that site i think everything and this kind of answers a lot of your questions comes down to time and money and this is the discussion that you and I had, Matt, before we even started recording this podcast is like, how do we balance stuff out? Like, what do we focus on in the future? There's a lot There's a lot of discussion that can be had because there's a lot of projects that are really awesome. And there's some of them that are really awesome and I want to keep doing even if it doesn't generate money. Like this podcast, for instance, I'd want to – I don't care if this generates money. I would keep doing it. That's the kind of thing that that's how I feel about this podcast is one of those things. But Free Photos Hamilton, I would need that to be at least in some way, shape or form, an actual considerable generator of money to be able to afford to do it. And I don't 
as in its current form or when it was starting out, I didn't see it happening quick enough for me to invest a lot of time in it right now because I have so many other things on the go and my, like I have a full plate on my, like a full work plate, full work day every day. Um, it would just be tough for me to commit to something like that. If, if the situation was different and there was a lull in work or something like that, I could see us investing our time and trying it again because I still think it has potential. I just didn't see the immediate potential that I wanted, I guess, for me to say right now, yes, let's do it. So that's that's how I would approach probably each and every project that we would come up with, right? A, how much time, because like you said, as we become better, it becomes less time to actually spin up a project, but it's still time. How much time does it take to spin up a project? Uh, and what's the potential monetary outcome? And what do we expect that monetary outcome to be? Like, what, what's our what's our base? Like, what's our minimum? Like, if if we were to spin up Free Photos Hamilton, how much would we need it to make in the first year or the first six months for it to be a viable thing that we continue to keep up? That's a good. That's, th- those are good. Yeah. Really good. Those are really good questions, especially with a goal, or like especially with like goal setting. I think like it it, it allows you to. Put something, put the, put something to work towards. Whereas when we first, when we first did free photos, Hamilton, we really didn't do that. We, what, one of our things, and we were like so naive in this, and like I can't really believe that we were this naive. But like this is the beginning. Like this is we were just out of sight of college. Was like we thought, well, like all these businesses, and not all businesses, but like one of the big things that businesses pull is like, hey, we're 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 pulling, we're playing the local angle, and we were so naive in thinking, well, let's do something free. It's local angle. People are going to want to use the photos, which some have, like people are still visiting it here and there. And let's do, let's do like a full, like, let, like, let's just put up a bunch of photos. Cause like, I was like, I, I, I kind of like messing around with the DSLR basically, and I can make some pretty decent photos. And so I thought, okay, well, we'll upload the raws and everything so that even more professional folks can fix them, you know, to, to their, to their heart's content. And let's, let's release these things. And what we didn't realize was first off, just cause that's local doesn't mean it gets exposure. The exposure when you're releasing something like we were putting it on Facebook and such, when we're putting it on Facebook, the exposure still isn't great because Facebook doesn't really have the greatest discovery engine. There's a, a there's an, an inherent issue with content. So we it takes a lot. Like we were, I was going out with a friend and we were going and driving around the city and like Hamilton's a big place. We were driving around the city in the winter, in the fall, in the spring, in the summer, and like the winter is harsh, of course. And we were taking photos and like, this is like hundreds of dollars worth of equipment, which is like personal equipment at this point, but hundreds of dollars worth of equipment. And we were running around taking pictures of these places, but it's like, that's a day and a half of content sometimes. That's really not, it's really not enough. It's, and we were thinking like, oh, it'll be great because we'll have all these people like just, we wanted it just be, to be just our friends. We thought, oh, all just our friends and just our acquaintances will, you know, come in and they'll be the ones like supporting it. And our thought was, well, these guys will keep posting stuff and like, we'll keep posting stuff and they'll cover us when we're posting. And that never happened. And that was because we didn't really look at the fact that it's, it's not so much like sharing a link. It's, it, it, it's much more than that. It's going out with a camera, taking a picture, taking it, putting it on your computer, uploading it to a website. Like it is a, it is a process. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's not going to take you hours, but it's certainly more than you just clicking, like you just taking a picture and posting it to Instagram. Hell, my camera on my phone has an Instagram mode where the instant I click a picture, it starts the post for me. 
I didn't do anything. And like, it's just, it, it, what it is, is it's that level of effort that we didn't realize that was there. And this was also one of our projects where our UX in the back end, our UX was like, it was just like the, the, the WordPress back end, because we were brand new to WordPress at the time was so freaking slow. And it was just horrible. Like it was just, it was, it was, it was janky too. Like I had to like hack in a couple of features and like I was new to hacking stuff in too. So like, it was janky. And like, this is one of those things where I thought, well, it's just us. Like the UX doesn't matter. It's not consumer facing. And that UX made me not even want to use it. And it sucked. And then we tried other things. Like we, like you can see the evolution of the product to an extent. Like we tried different things like, Oh, we'll do each month. We'll do a photo. Uh, we'll do a site updates thing. Uh, we, and then that'll like force us. So like if one month looks really thin, we'll be like, damn, we better like put more, more time into it this month. And it was supposed to be like a, a thing to keep the site up to date and also keep people like interested and keep us interested. And then we did like photo spots where we were like, Hey, go to this place. Like if you want to see a cityscape in the Hamilton Bay, go to this photo spot. And here's a couple of the photos that like are available on our website that we got from there. So if you want to see that, like, you know, come and take a look here. Like that's, that's the type of thing that we were getting. That's the type of thing that we were getting on this website or that's the type of thing that we were doing on this website. So like we learned a bunch of stuff. I learned about like file handling. I learned about, a lot about WordPress. I learned a lot about WooCommerce. I learned a lot about themes and licenses and uh, photo photo licenses specifically for handing out to people and stuff like that. Like I learned a lot, but it was just not – it just wasn't there. And there's a lot of things that we did on here that I wouldn't do now and a lot of things that we didn't do that I would do now. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think Free For Hamilton is the perfect example for, for this web news. Um, so like exactly so what would it take for us to redo it it would take a we would have to create a much better ux for being able to up, to upload photos b we would have to again generate income from it at a much at at least a more consistent pace than we were before so we'd have to figure out a better marketing strategy so we would like with our knowledge now it's an old project are to reverse your web news like your web news title is old decisions new project this is an old project new decision we would have to make a whole new decision plan and we would do it much better than we did last time there's no doubt about that but we'd have to create a a a cost benefit analysis i guess would be the term to use is it worth it so this is the amount of work we're going to put in we're going to put in you know 150 hours for instance to launch the site to relaunch the site how much of that money, like if we were charging our, if we were charging ourselves, let's say thirty dollars an hour, which is really low, one hundred fifty hours, like how much money do we need to make to get that money back? And over how much time? And this is something that we'd have to discuss. Like this is like so one hundred fifty, you know, times thirty, so forty five hundred dollars. If we generate, you know, a thousand dollars in the first year. I would say that it's kind of viable because it'll it, it hopefully will increase over over time and stuff like that. But we if we don't generate that thousand dollars, then in my opinion, it's kind of you know burnt cost. So we're just we're, we just spent four forty five hundred dollars of our own time that could have been spent somewhere else. And th- again, this is a discussion that we would have in more technical detail. But this is re- this is a real discussion. Um, it would be. We would have to be generating a thousand dollars a year, but this is like obviously napkin napkin calculations. Would you agree to that, or do you have other thoughts on that? Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. I, was, I mean, I actually, I I would say that I'd be happy with a grand, but I actually think that, like, 
the goal. See, the, the weird thing is, is I think that the goal should be higher, but I don't think it'd be able to be reached. It's one of those things where exactly it's so hard to get e- exposure on stuff. And and the the one thing with this site too is that it's all manual. I had to manually compress the pictures for the thumbnail, and then I had to actually upload a file, and then I had to make sure it was a zip if it had the raw and the original, and then I would have like a like a, a if it was just the one thing I would have the download button down the non compressed. And it was just like, it just went on and on and on. And again, like people might be like, well, we, I do this on my current site. Yeah. Well, like that, that's, that's totally fine. And, and, and website content creation and content putting up isn't easy, but for us having built the site and then we just want to post photos up for free, it's a totally different thing because we actually want these things to get exposure. And I was posting, like I was posting consistently. I was posting quite a bit on social media and stuff, which I was like, not that great at, at the time. And maybe I'm still not that great at because I haven't posted in a little bit. But like, the thing is, is that it's, it's, it just became this monotonous grind. And we made a good amount of money, like, we, like a good amount of money for the traffic we got, I should say. But we didn't, it didn't even hit a hundred bucks. Let's just put it that way. I didn't even hit a hundred dollars and it was a lot of effort. And what really sucked was we thought we were onto something. That's what drew, that's what made us like drive it forward was we, we put it out and we got a, we got a really good reception on, on Facebook. We got some people changing their cover photos. I don't know if you remember Mike. Some people could yep. change the cover photos. They were commenting. We had a couple of people that wanted to contribute, but we, we, at the time we didn't want to put it out with other people. We just wanted it to be people we knew. That we're doing it, and we're like, oh, maybe we'll bring you on in the future and stuff. So, like, we, now we know, like, that was missed opportunity. We know that it that the project's okay. Like, no one like sits there and we hate the project. The project's okay. There's nothing wrong with it, really, per se. Like, in terms of the customer experience, other than the, the site's a little slow. But it was just one of those things where it just it wasn't it. It was going to take too much effort to keep it up for the amount of money out, and. It wasn't so, and it was too much effort such that it couldn't have even even been a side hustle, because I can't go and take pictures in the middle of the night, of like, of like the morning of you know like you're taking pictures, so you want to take that in the light, <laughs> like is what I'm trying to say. So you can't take like daylight photos in the night, and so it's not a it's not like an after work side hustle either. It's too much. It it's too much work. It was too much work. What we what we laid it up, and and yep. we learned a bunch of good stuff about like. Like, I still think it's still a valuable lesson. And I remember, like, even when we first started, we said that this was going to be a lesson in WordPress. Like I said, if this all fails, I'm going to learn a lot about WordPress. And I did. Like, I learned enough. I learned, like, quite a bit. And I learned how to, like, spin it up locally and blah, 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 and all this stuff. But, like, it just it, – it, what what led us on was that the traffic grew for two months. It just grew and grew. I don't know if you remember that, Mike. It went, like, 400 or something viewers, something like that. Then, like, 700 then it went up to 900 and we're like, damn, like this is actually going somewhere. But then it just like, it just fell off and it's probably just because what's the, what's the revisitability of this site? Um, short of us posting way more photos, what's the revisibility? We weren't able to keep up with the photos. We couldn't keep posting more and more photos. We couldn't keep getting new people. And then the repost, like we, we identified that this place, what that this website was not like something you would come and revisit again. So we did indeed put up like blog posts and stuff like that. But even then they were about the places we were taking photos. How, how many days can I take off a week to go take photos all day? And it's not like, Oh, go take photos and come home and like go do work. It's like, no, we were taking photos all day. We were taking photos for like 12 hours. We were out there for like 10 to 12 hours, including like pulling them off the thing and putting it on the computer. 
Like, they, you know what I mean? Like, it was a big day. We'd go we'd ga- go gather some people, and we'd go, go take photos for eight hours, and then come home and work for two, three, four hours on posting the photos and getting them ready and getting the social media posts ready. Like, it's not viable. It's just something that is not viable. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, like you said, we learned valuable lessons. I still think it's a cool project. I still think it has some potential. Um, I just think that you're right. Like it's just the, the revenue opportunity, like the profit opportunity is just not there. We're targeting too small a market with it and it's just too much work. So it just like, – like I said, the cost-benefit analysis would just not work out. And that's why I think that's a lot of the lessons that we learned from our early projects is like we need to do – more of a cost benefit analysis on and i think not only would that like make us better decision makers it'll also make us more driven to actually get that benefit out of that out of whatever we put in like if we view our time as money which we should and which everyone should um that changes the way we perceive what we're doing so if we're if we're doing a side hustle and our money our time costs money we really need to put effort into that time hustle because if I just spent eight hours on something, I better get that eight hours back at some point in my life. Like at some point down the road, I better get eight hours back, whether it be money or whether it be just enjoyment. Cause I like, like I said with the podcast, it's not for me, it's not necessary for this to generate income. Like there, there is a differentiation in some ways. Like I'd love for it to generate income, not saying that it's not going to. But for me to continue to do it, it's more of an enjoyment thing than anything else. For free photos, Hamilton, I like taking photos, but not that much. Yeah, it, it, it's the same thing with like I'll occasionally stream games, but like if it doesn't go anywhere because it hasn't so far, I'm not just going to suddenly you know sell my Xbox. <laughs> it's yep. it's exactly the same thing. It it you know it, it oh and and photography is the same thing for me. I still like I'm still a shutterbug. I take a million and one photos. I bought a new phone to have three cameras on the back. And, but I, I, but it's still like, this is an added effort. This is an, and, and, and with that, one of the things we would change immediately is it has to be shareable. I have to be able to share it from my phone somehow. It has to be. Cause I, I would like, I would have thousands. I have thousands. I have thousands of photos on this phone. I'm holding my phone up in the air right now. I have thousands of photos. I don't post any of them. I don't post, I don't post, like I post like two. <laughs> and I and I yep. and they're backed up four times. They're backed up to Prime Photos, OneDrive, Google Drive, and Samsung Cloud. Four times. Don't share them with anybody. And people are like, "I'll take photos with people at events." They're like, "Send me the photos." I'm like, "Yep, yeah, we'll do." Never do. Damn it, you're one of those yep. people, Matt. I'm one of them. Yep. My family's like, "Oh, you took a bunch of pictures at our like at our Christmas. Like, let, let's all see them." Yeah, all right. Nope, my photos. Nope. Sorry. <laughs> and like I'm not like I'm not making that conscious decision. I just go like, oh, oh look, these are all my photos. These are all backed up. Cool. Moving on. I don't know so, yeah. what it is, but like, but regardless of which, like with that aside, I'm already generating the content, but I can't have this content management take a freaking hour. I don't even post on Instagram because I got to type the damn thing in. Yep. You know. That's the thing. Like everything's going to take some effort, so you have to. You have to make that decision like what's enough effort like what's the minimal amount of effort and that's i mean that's where society is coming to like uh the least amount of effort is what's going to win so if it's just literally like if you develop a system that's you taking a picture and then an application in the background will detect that you've taken a picture and then pop up a message saying post this on free photos hamilton 
and you press yes and that's the end of the process like you don't have to go and share it to social media or whatever because it'll do it for you and all that random pictures that's the lowest barrier to entry that would work i would I, I, i'm telling you right now if we were allowed if we would do if we if we were allowed to if we did that with free photos hamilton in the beginning i'd still be posting photos today yeah because it's literally like Oh, like it went to my but, backup but is program. It possible? I pressed yes, and I clicked yes, and that was it. Yeah. But the problem is, is, is it possible for something like Free Photos Hamilton? Because Free Photos Hamilton requires some sort of content management. Like you have to post where it was taken, or would you do that so, straight no, so what, through the GPS? What you would do is you would you would allow you would allow something like you would and and and, the, and this is like a very good example of a live conversation you and I would have about revolutionizing revolutionizing a product. So one of the things that you would do is you would say okay. You would allow, you would have like a form, let's say, real easy. So you would you would you would share whether it be a pop up or you would click the share dialog. You would have a native share dialog where you share it. Then it comes up with okay, here's your photo. You know, do, do you want it generally full resolution? But what do you want? Do you want full resolution? What do you want? So you just like real quick options. It's got to be a, it's got to be a few clicks. Yep, like here's your photo. Like here's the thing. Here's the data. Like here's the location data. Like this is it. What do you got to do? You got to type in a title and press post. Done. No hashtags, okay. so, no so BS. That's, that's what you would. Yeah, that's what you would. And do. then you would have auto tags with the on the website where it would be like, oh, it's from Hamilton, it's from this, and the title includes mountains or waterfall, so it gets tagged with waterfall. Okay. And then that yeah, that's like a low barrier to entry. Where if I was being lazy and I just put like the name of my photo was photo, I could do that. There's your barrier to entry. You could do something even more where you could say like you could generate a title based on. Well, based on a visual algorithm, you could do which is a which is a big undertaking. But you could do it with um, location. If I took like a big uh, falls, like a big waterfall around this area, is uh, Webster's Falls. If I was in Webster's Falls, you could just say Webster's Falls photo. You could pull that title in. You could make those titles. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you right now, and, and audience, correct me if I'm wrong. If you were to develop a system like that, where literally all you have to do is click post. And it auto generates a title. Yeah, and you create a system, a website similar to Instagram. It would take off because I think what is again. You're not the only. You're not the only one that doesn't like that doesn't like the, even the simplistic form of Instagram, where like you put the hashtags and you put that. I think you're not the only one. I think a website that could do it that easily. And obviously, this is not something that we can undertake because this is like if it's open to the public, we're talking, you know, petabytes and petabytes of data. Oh, I mean, if, it, if, if, if yeah. there's petabytes of data going through this thing, where, like I'll do it. That's a, <laughs> like if there's there's that much data, then there's that much money coming through anyway. Maybe, but how would you monetize it without any other information? Like you would have to figure out a way to monetize zero information, essentially. Other well, than with the, like, with, you'd with, have to be able to sell with those usership photos. like that. You just you just attract investment. People just start fucking going crazy. They just start going nuts and they start throwing <laughs> cash your way. Regardless, like I think it's possible that the lowest barrier to entry would work would work for a photo site because, again, like you said, if your family could see photos of themselves and you could just post them. In literally that many clicks, that would be easy. Although you could easily send it to them on WhatsApp, I guess, but that's you no, know, but an extra that, couple of clicks. That's exactly it, actually. That is a really good point that you brought up there. That is exactly it. We want, we want something as simple as something you do voluntarily. 
Yeah. If you are sharing your photos, which I don't because it's me, but regardless of which, I share a fair bit of links and photos, which are usually not my own, to other people. I don't know why. It's something wrong with me. I think I'm a hoarder. I'm, I'm a hoarder. <laughs> Call Probably, up A&E. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I share a lot of stuff like news and photos and stuff like that, Reddit posts to other people. I'm doing that voluntarily. I don't think that's a waste of time. If you can do it in that many clicks and it's this, that easy and it's the same process, you're going to get, you're going to get people to do it. You're going to get people to do it yep. or you're going to do it if you're the content guy. That is a perfect UX. If you don't think yep. it's an effort, you're going to freaking do it. That's it. Yep. That's why I think that a site like that would do well. Maybe. Yep. Because it wouldn't be up to them. What they do with the pictures, it would be up to us what we do with the pictures. Yeah. So we could do whatever we wanted with the, with that data. Like with, with the with the you know we get location, we do pictures by location. Discovery network, we don't have a discovery network. You get random shit. Well, no, you would <laughs> you would you would flood you would flood Google with legitimate stuff. Like you would you would have yeah. a description box, right? A totally optional. The page would be designed such that it could be there or not, and you can have someone write about their experience with this. With this lake, and they took a picture of this lake, and that, but you don't want to do it. Don't do it. Some people want to put the effort yep. in, or some people like they take a really nice shot. Like let's say they're a, they're a point and shoot camera, like aficionado with their with their phone or with a point and shoot camera, and they're just like constantly taking pictures, and they get like a like a killer shot, and it was like during like a really cool moment in their life or something. You might get them to be passionate enough where they want to write about it. They want more in the title, and so you give them that. Whoa, to throw my mic around. You give them that option, but you don't. You don't make it mandatory. You make yeah. the barrier to entry, like click, click, type, enter. Like, like, <laughs> like it's literally that easy. This is mm-hmm. why, this is why link previews are a thing, in my opinion. Link previews and chat apps are a thing because people didn't even want to read the frick, didn't even want to go and click on it to read the byline. They wanted to read the headline. And so like they, now the headline's there, now the photo's there, and they get some context to decide whether they want to click or just fire off a quick comment. They don't want to see this this ugly link. They're going to look at the link preview. That's why that exists. That is a barrier to entry. That barrier to entry was one click, and they had to make it simpler. Click this link with no with no link preview. Click it. That that was a barrier to entry in a chat. Now the link preview's there. Barrier to entry is mitigated. I'd say. I, I like I said I, I think I think it's an interesting idea um, and it was I think it was a good discussion regardless so but this is let us know what you well think. that's a that's a good but like I, regardless of which regardless of whether we do that maybe that's our second website no it isn't um like the, of 2019 all of a sudden we just announced free photos Hamilton 2020 um <laughs> uh, but no but like 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 seriously speaking now seriously speaking like this is how Mike and I would discuss fu- like fixing up an old project. And we acknowledge the good parts of this project, the way it sits, but we acknowledge that it needs to be redone. But we acknowledge also that some of the ideas are right, but executed in a flawed way. For example, we know that the content needs to be steady. So in order to do that, you need to lower entry, blah, 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 like all the stuff we went through. That's exactly how we would tackle improving a project. So I think that's interesting web news anyway. Um... Yep. I don't know if you have anything else to say, Mike. I think, I think we've covered I think we've it. covered it. Yeah. So, uh, well, stay tuned. The one is the one website. I'll just announce it now. The one website is definitely the hat website. 
uh, is definitely the hat website. The second one I'm keeping under wraps because I want to try the hat website first. But the hat website is definitely being done. I know we did no BS news and said that was definitely being done, and then it and then it didn't. But um, well, I mean, it's still technically it's still technically that, done. That that that's one thing that like that that there that buried entry is dead to me. Like we have we didn't push it out. That's it. Like I'll still do it, but like I don't want to say it's out because it really isn't. You know what I mean? But anyway, okay. regardless of which, that's just me being nitpick. But anyway, so the hat website is definitely being done. We're actually talking to other people and getting it uh, part part of it actually commissioned. Uh, so we're actually to- throwing some throwing some cashola at it and ensuring that it's going to get done within a reasonable amount of time because Mike and I are so busy ourselves. So that's a that's a uh, and I'm treating it like a client website as well. Once once it's ready for me to work on, so that's good. Anyway, so yeah, so get ready for the hat website in uh, in early 2020. Uh, it's going to be pretty exciting. We already showed off some of the wireframes. It's based on that design. We have a couple little little content changes we're going to throw in there probably. Uh, but in general, that's what you're going to be seeing. Um, but unless Mike, unless you have anything to announce about No BS News, I'm ready to uh, <laughs> 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 we're ready to <laughs> ready to uh, run the old conclusion. Do it up. All right. right. Well, thank you for listening. And make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can follow us on the socials via at uh, HTML All the Things. That's on Facebook and Instagram. We're also on Twitter via at HTML Everything. We're on Medium and we're on GitHub. And we're also on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML All the Things. Check out the tiers. Give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. That's Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. Find him at youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at localpathcomputing.com. Craig, a.k.a. Cosworth. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from selfmadewebdesigner.com. And Tim from The Web Hacker. You can find him at thewebhacker.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you're listening to this on. And we are signing off. We'll be right back.